Nearby Lucas once again. We're closing in on episode 100, aren't we? Yes, episode 99 today. And, you know, whether or not it is actually episode 99 is up for debate, but it's episode 99. That's the thing. We don't have 99 episodes of the podcast in the archives, do we? Because some of them went missing. A few of the early ones I didn't have. And then it's like we've actually done a few Q&A episodes, but then we missed our episode 69, but we totally did episode 69. Right. It's just lost for the, the archives, yeah. Yeah, they're all gone into the internet ether. And that's an interesting concept, isn't it? The idea that something can just disappear. Yes, Especially in like this day and age where just stuff goes because um, like a, a not common but somewhat well-known fact about the earliest days of cinema and film is that like 60 to 75% of all silent films are just gone because oh, right, okay, there yeah. was like one reel that they show in um, uh, theatres and then once theatres were done with it they'd just get rid of it because well, we're never going to show it again so why would people want to watch a film they've already seen before they want to mm-hmm. see a new thing Yeah, and you think like the days of digital technology and everything being recorded and everything having backups that it's stuff just gone yeah sometimes there's just flubs aren't there and it's just one of those of it is arguably unhealthy the idea of needing to archive everything so badly because you know we're just a couple of people having a chat and doing a podcast mm-hmm. like is that really something of merit that would need to be held for like all time not in particular, no. But when we say it's like it's episode one hundred, but we don't have a hundred episode because like in next week will be episode hundred. But so we know we've recorded a hundred. It's just we don't have proof that we did, yeah. other than remembering it. And uh, you see that a lot with just like the internet as a whole. Where was it? I think it's earlier this year. Um, it was Twitch announced we're going to clear out people's archives or no, it's not clear. Out, they did um, uh, the copyright thing. They changed the DMCA rulings on everything and tightened down and was like, oh yeah, so even your backlog of your VODs, your videos on demand, they will also be looked at and copyright struck, so everybody just started deleting their archives in case. And people were deleting terabytes of footage that amounted to, in some cases, o- over a decade of recordings, and that's just all gone forever. But the idea that they were just having a decade's worth of recordings back mm-hmm. there, it's like, does anyone need that? And I guess like, if you've got a fan base, they'd argue that you do, because we've experienced that ourselves. Like, just last night we were streaming... And every, I want to say like 15 to 20 minutes of someone, is there going to be a VOD of this? And our answer was, well, there will be for about a month and then we're going to get rid of it. However long Twitch keeps it on, it's like temporary channel page for my stream. Then yeah, like you can do that, but it's not like I'm going to be saving it and putting it aside elsewhere because, you know... Twitch and streaming itself is kind of a disposable medium, as we were saying. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not... Some people would disagree with that, but I think our approach and thoughts on it are quite similar. I see Twitch as being, as you said, disposable form of media where it's instantaneous. And if you're not there at the moment, seeing it after the fact is kind of like the impact of its lesson because you can't, you lose the ability to interact with it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those of it just becomes a, a video rather than a stream. And I think that it's not valueless to have saved some of them and clip out moments and stuff. But in general, I think you're taking away the whole point of a stream, which is, as you say, the interactivity portion. Yeah, it's like um, re-watching um, uh, a replay of like a live football match or sports match. Mm. It's like, I, I don't know why I'd ev- ever see myself doing something like that. Like the World Cup, I'm going to watch the World Cup, but I don't think I've ever designed, oh, well, okay, I want to watch the World Cup again. 
I want to watch last year's World or la- the last World Cup again. I don't know. There's there's times as like I'm a bit more of like a, a football slash you know Americans here soccer fan than um, than you are, and like I'll sit there and occasionally watch some like highlights That's of old Liverpool matches. I knew you were going to say that. You said highlights, yeah, not, which the, is not the entire match. match, yeah. And that's the one of the weirder things about it because, like I said, we experienced it. Uh, people asking, "Are you going to have this uploaded uh, elsewhere?" And here's a like a dirty secret, um, open secret, if you're a creator of the internet, and that is that VODs are effectively value, valueless um, in terms of their ability to be monetized. Yeah, and they just they really, if you are doing anything other than having a specific, say, YouTube channel for those VODs, they are just dragging your channel down analytics-wise and making it so that you earn less money and get less views on your other content. Yeah, like they are poison to the algorithm because um, all YouTube sees, because YouTube like this is a monolithic entity that only sees hard numbers, and say, for example, your content is 10 to 15 minutes long and people watch on average about 10 minutes, YouTube will see about 60% of all footage you upload gets watched, so that's a pretty good... That yeah. sounds bad to anyone who's outside of um, uh, YouTube or the creator community, but like, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. Having people watch 60% of your content is really fucking good. And then let's say, for example, you upload a one and a half hour long video, uh, VOD from a stream, and people watch nine and a half minutes of that. Then that's them watching 10% of it. And then YouTube goes, well, people are only now watching 10% of your videos. That's real bad. We're yeah. going to stop recommending it to people. Because uh, from our point of view, um, recommending your content only gets people like um, in the ecosystem of your channel for like 10% of the video's runtime. Yeah. So okay. it's just one of those of like it. Essentially, I tried putting stream archives on my own personal channel, Legend of Canto. You can check it out. But I've um, taken a bit of a hiatus to try and figure out how to like rework the channel a bit, and just because other things in life have like kind of impeded my ability to uh, to work on it, and yeah, it's just it got slowly dragged down by poor analytics of stream archives, and then that got compounded by like you know YouTube no longer giving people my own videos of other things in the um, subscription feed and stuff, and it's just it's really hard to combat against when that ball starts rolling. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle and that feeds into itself. Of, And it can be the case of one bad video can cause just a cataclysmic cascading effect on a channel where I think you mentioned yesterday, it's like you've basically got to start making content from fresh in terms of numbers. Yeah. Just because you started uploading VODs that people asked for. People were asking for... There was a small portion of my community that were watching them and really enjoying watching them after the fact, yeah. And then when you upload them, um, you know, they only get watched by a fraction of people, which feeds into it. It's uh, uh, folding that into like the larger channel I control, like Fact Fiend. We often get asked, like, why we mentioned it last week, why are you making videos shorter? Because we want to play to the algorithm. You've got to mm-hmm. play the game a little. And when we were seeing, like, you know, when we were sticking to our guns and keeping those videos a bit longer, there was a slight downturn. And then when we didn't, change that quickly enough it caused an even bigger downturn in yeah. numbers which then we've now had to like yeah play the game a little bit and alter our um videos ever so slightly we've talked about that like um quite a bit but the yeah. idea of just content disappearing online like as mentioned we have a similar approach to it we see it as disposable but other people absolutely do not like i mentioned people deleting a decade's worth of footage from their streams and getting really annoyed about the fact that 
um, they had to delete footage they weren't paying to host. Yeah. And that, to me, is a fascinating mindset to have because the person is simultaneously arguing that the thing that they're doing has value, but they themselves don't want to pay to host or store it. Yeah. So it has value to them as long as they're able to host and make money from it for free. Mm -hmm. The moment the onus is on them to find a place to store it, suddenly it's, um, uh, okay, I'm just going to delete it all. And that's the thing is, personally, I'd say I see, like, the Twitch streams that we do is fairly disposable and I'll, I'll try and get some up and stuff. But um, I do, however, with YouTube, for example, like, I think every, near enough at least, every YouTube video I've put out onto my channel, every single Fact Fiend or Raw Fact Fiend video that I've made, There's like a backup they're all somewhere. stored on my hard drives at home. And that's uh, with Fact Fiend. The reason we do that is because if the channel ever dies, we've got them all somewhere to upload again. It'd be a mm. ball ache to do it, but we have the ability to do so. Um, but like that idea of um, people simultaneously insisting that this stuff like their Twitch VODs, like these are value, like, you know, my fan base finds value in them. Uh, well, um, you're going to have to pay for hosting. Well, just delete everything. Yeah. And that's really interesting because, like, how quickly people's approach to that changed the instant the onus became, was on them mm -hmm. to pay for its storage. And, like, talking about just the, I don't know too much about it, but. Okay. Um, I find it really interesting of other people, like, I know Nisha's mentioned it, where, um, it was like Markiplier and someone else did that whole thing where they made content for a whole year, but then after the year, they just deleted all of that year's content. Okay. And I find that a really cool example. And it's like, oh, so what do we do when we, I think we're making like one video every day or something for an entire year. And then at the end of the year, it's all gone. And I th find that as quite a, a cool way of doing it. Yeah, that's... Uh quite avant-garde mm -hmm. and that's like uh, very modern art it's like Banksy didn't like famously or infamously if you collect his art and pay for it destroys his own artwork yeah he had that one where I think it ended up being a copy of his art that got actually shredded but like that famous piece where it's like it got sold at auction and then immediately shredded from an inbuilt shredder within the frame yeah but then it got stuck halfway so it was half shredded and then it that inadvertently made it worth more because now it's part of a huge news story and then I think a, it wasn't actually the original copy. I think that was just a, a prank on whoever bought it. Because Banksy is great and mm -hmm. um, he's really good at that sort of thing. And then you have a more obscure example. Uh, it's an old band called the K Foundation, I believe it was, which okay. um, got a million dollar record deal and then used the money to create an art project called the K Foundation Burn a Million Dollars. And they did exactly what it says on the tin, and they took their money in cash and sat there and filmed themselves burning the money. Holy shit. And then deleted their entire, um, uh, all the master tracks of all their songs and never made music again. Fucking hell. And that is how you rage quit. That's from, a bold move. That's how you rage quit from a creative industry. But again, the idea that um, content can be lost forever, and um, my approach and my thoughts on it has always been that. Um, ultimately, it lies with the creator. If the creator no longer wishes for that content, around, then they have the ability to destroy it. Yeah. Just think like um, with YouTube videos, if we take one down, delete it, if someone else has taken it and downloaded it, they, they have it. It mm -hmm. still exists in that form in a sense. But I think if the original creator wants it to be gone, that's their progress. It's their creation. Exactly. Yeah. And as long as that, I think obviously a lot of things when you're talking about record deals, that all gets a bit messy in terms of like ownership and contracts and legalese and stuff. And But if you're just talking about, for example, someone 
like Carl putting up a video on Fight Fiend and saying, this is my video, you are within your right to do whatever the fuck you want, including just deleting it forever. Yeah, taking it down. And it's interesting to see again um, uh, the discourse when it comes to stuff like that, that Markiplier thing. I was not familiar with it. I'm not familiar with his work and didn't know he did something like that. And that's really interesting. I would love to see um, how his fan base responded to the idea that he was going to be effectively taking away content from them. I think it was received pretty well because they were so upfront about what the entire purpose of the project was. Because I, I feel like, especially with uh, someone as large and as successful as he is, his fan base, or at least a small part of it, uh, but nonetheless a very vocal part, will feel a sense of shared ownership over his content. Mm-hmm. And that's something you could probably speak to working behind the scenes on Fact Fiend and seeing the way it works. Like People get really attached to the content that we create. They do, yeah. To a level or to a degree that I would describe as unhealthy. And again, that is only like a vocal minority of people that get to that situation, but there are certainly people out there. And I may be getting some details of that Markiplier thing wrong because I just heard it secondhand from Nisha of what they were doing. It's, it's a baller move, I'll give him that. Yeah. It's a um, bold gambit to just delete content that you've created. But again, it creates that thing of um, that. You think real world stuff, like internet content is a lot more... It's not as tangible. In the real world, you have stuff like Louis Vuitton. Very famously, again, infamously, depending on your um, thoughts on it, burn excess stock that they do not sell Mm. to maintain a high degree of rarity on their products and maintain that illusion that they're scarce, because they are, because any that aren't sold are just destroyed. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. And even, like, you know, in the realms of nerd shit, which me and you are more interested in, you have, like, limited prints of games, posters... Um, like special editions of stuff. Yeah, and it's often talked about Nintendo with their collectibles, things like Amiibos and things like uh, when the the NES and SNES came out, the mini versions, and it's like uh, the idea of our Nintendo creating artificial scarcity so that that drives the interest and conversation of those items into a frenzy. Or is it that they're just very smart and pay their marketing department a lot of money to know exactly how many they need to print to sell literally every single one they have? Exactly, and not be left with just uh, like E.T. pile of yeah. video game shit that they need to bury in a landfill in a desert. Because uh, that's like a part of that discourse that often does get discussed because obviously people only see it from the perspective of themselves as the consumer, but mm-hmm. uh, it is not in a company's best interest to have stock left over that they then have sitting on shelves that they have to pay to maintain. As you mentioned, you alluded to there, the um, uh, ET thing, mm-hmm. where Atari predicted that the infamously bad ET, was it uh, arcade cartridge? It was the ET Atari 2600 cartridge, I believe. Yeah, they anticipated with the success of the movie that the tie-in game would sell millions of copies, and they got millions of copies of the game printed, but made. they only, like, they... They gave one very, very talented programmer like on his own, like, I think it was like three or six weeks to fart that project yeah. out of his ass. And he's created some of the, like, the greatest Atari games ever, but it was just, you need to fart this out for Christmas. And that's one of the story, like, one of the aspects of the story that often gets overlooked, which is, the guy who made the game was really good at his job. Like I said he made some of the best Atari games. I ever. think he was pretty much known as the best guy in, like, the best developer at Atari at the time. I want to say, like, he made works on, like, Centipede and stuff like Crazy, that. Crazy, yeah, yeah. And uh, he still, to this day, defends E.T. as a good game with the time frame he had. It's like, with the time frame I had and the idea of making an E.T. game with the limited graphical fidelity available on the hardware, I think I did a pretty good job. 
didn't do an amazing job, admittedly. It's but not I, a great game, but considering what circumstances I was under, it's not bad. But Atari put all their eggs in one metaphorical basket. That game got like absolutely just torn apart in reviews. Yeah, and people were returning spent- it so much money making millions of cartridges and buying the marketing the crap out of the E.T. Like, yeah. yeah, And buying the license. And, and buying uh, the license. It's God. one of the things that's listed as causing the crash of video games until Nintendo it's, came in a few years later. Yeah, presumably one of the things that kicked it off. Oh, you know, it's like you can pinpoint that moment where like the bubble burst. Well, I, I did say presumably. I didn't mean presumably. Oh, okay. Um, but I more meant that it's one of the contributing factors. It's, it's not the... It's not... Because, you know, Atari and other companies were flooding the market with just cheap shit anyway. And I think E.T. was like the straw that broke the camel back. Yeah. And um, it was so poorly received that um, Atari could not shift the cartridges they had left. And uh, for many years, it was rumoured that they shipped them off to the desert and buried them. And that was like one of those long-standing industry rumours that Atari denied. And it turns and out... that pretty much nobody thought was going to be true. Yeah, there was never ever anyone able to corroborate the story. It was always just an industry rumour. Mm-hmm. And like Atari always maintained, well, unsold merchandise you know, gets destroyed. It gets destroyed, or like, you know, if shops got rid of small-scale, uh, got rid of their stock, um, that's on them. But we never shipped off hundreds of thousands of ET cashers. They were destroyed in line with our, like, you know... Um, practice manufacturing process and they did over the years find like a couple of like small caches of the game inside mm. landfills and it was presumed and it would often get reported that they were from Atari and it turns out no it was a game shop that just they just threw away what stock they couldn't sell or yeah whatever. it's like a business that went, it's something that went out of business and they again just mm. had a bunch of it left in the back room and then uh, I believe a documentary maker tried to find them and did find the landfill I can't remember what documentary it is now, but like if you Google it, I'm sure you'd be able to, to figure out what it was. Um, yeah, and he got Atari to sheepishly admit that, yeah, we we were just saving face. We did ship a bunch of them to the middle and, of the desert. Yeah, they, they found a lot of them. I don't think it was hundreds or thousands, but is they enough? did actually find a landfill like in the desert. Well, it wasn't even a landfill. It was like a pothole that they covered up, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was just like a place you could dump stuff for a price. Like, it's yeah. not like they went up there and like in the dead of night, it's a place you could dump stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, the specific details of it was the middle of the desert makes it sound so much. It's like almost Indiana Jones-esque. Yeah, of like this buried treasure, Carl. Not treasure. It's the opposite of buried treasure. Uh, to be fair, it's probably buried treasure because those cartridges... They're worth more now, yeah. ...are worth more than originally because of the story around them. It's not that Banksy thing, isn't it? Like Because... That the artwork Banksy made is worth more because it was publicly destroyed. It, there's a story behind it, so those cartridges probably are worth more than they were brand new mm-hmm. because of the story and like you know the legacy. They are part of video game history now, whether people like it or not. That is a giant a like part of the video game crash, and then b one of the largest, longest running rumors that turned out to be true. Yeah, and uh, one of the reasons I want to mention that documentary is because um, do you know who turns up in it? I can't remember. Ernest Klein, the author of Ready Player One. And he turns oh. up in his shitty fucking customised DeLorean. Oh, God. With, like, the Ghostbusters logo on the side. And it's like, f- why? Why get him, of all people? And he talks like he's an authority on Atari. And it's like, shut up. God. God, I hate that guy. I, see- I think I remember in that documentary, they do get actual video game developers talking about the rumour and yeah, stuff. Yeah, but then they get him in. And it's like, he turns up in his DeLorean. It's like, you fucking loser. 
Oh, and Luke, I see you've been scrolling on your phone for a moment. So what is yeah. it you've been so looking up? I was just looking up what this whole Markiplier thing was. Yes. Just to to clarify for the people that were probably sitting there going like, you don't know the proper story. So I've just got a quick paragraph on um, on Wikipedia here. To... A summation of what he actually did. Yeah. So, um, so I'm interested in this. On November 15th, 2019... Um, is it like Fishbatch? Uh, Fishbatch? I can't, I don't know, but just, uh, just Markiplier, Markiplier. There it is. his name, and then uh, all the other creator known as Crank Gameplays, um, created a, the channel called Eunice Anas, a channel which plans to upload a video every day for one year, after which the channel will be deleted along with its videos. Uh, yeah, the channel rose to early success, gaining a million subscribers in five, for the first five days. I think I know that one because I think Brad and Nisha, as fans of Michael, they have like a t-shirt with like Unus Anas on it. Yeah. And I didn't get what the reference was. And I remember yeah. when they did the Christmas video, Brad was wearing that shirt and a lot of people commented on the fact he had that shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's where I heard about it from. But yes, um, it's like, like it ended up having 4.5 million in its last few minutes over 11.5 million video views in the first week. Um, yeah, and then there was a final 12-hour live stream that packed over 1.5 million concurrent viewers. The channel was completely deleted on November 14th, 2020. Oh, man. And does it say anything about whether any of that footage was archived? Because I'm presumably fans of Markiplier archived I'm, the shit I'm sure out. the fans did, but on this page it doesn't. And I believe um, the entire point from the perspective of the two creators was... We're not going to say any of this. This is there to be deleted and forgotten about forever. And I respect that move so much. Well, it's like I said, it's, it's avant-garde. It's like it's the digital equivalent of modern art where mm-hmm. you're pushing the boundaries of what your creative medium allows. Because as we've been talking about, um, just as online creators, we are seemingly expected to have everything archived. We uh, Just every moment of just... I guess content that we make is meant to be or presumed to be saved and have access to at all times. Yeah, and it's something as well that you actively have to not do because uh, just existing online, um, like just as a casual user of stuff like you know, social media, um, everything is archived by default. Mm. That's the thing. I remember I deleted my Facebook profile. And when I deleted my Facebook profile, I was like, fuck Facebook. Um, I was asked, well, what about all the photos you took? And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Because mm. there's like a decade's worth of like night outs yeah. and stuff that I was in where I'm picturing these photos. And there's like photos that I don't have saved anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me, oh, fuck, yeah. It was like photos of me and friends. Like photos of me and friends like no, who were no longer around. I, was like, I fucking need those things. So that's like re... Uh, like what was it called like reactivate reactivate my account and get those photos. But it was all still there. It's all still there. It's just essentially they private your account. It's not that you delete any of it. It's just, yeah, we're going to keep that shit so that we've got all your personal information yeah, and details and photos. Even yeah. though my Facebook account has been deleted, it's still all that stuff exists somewhere. There is well, a I server somewhere it. with all that information and stuff. And that's what I mean of like just by default, almost everything you do online is tracked and archived, um, whether you know it or not. And as with us, like with the um, Twitch thing, you actually have to make an, you make an active choice to delete your VODs. And that's a choice mm. we've both made because the current climate on Twitch is if one of those old VODs happens to have a um, copyrightable thing in it, um, even if it wasn't copyrightable at the time, because that's the thing, it was retroactive. Yeah, and um, I've had a similar thing start popping up on my old stream archives that I've got on YouTube, 
where YouTube is a bit more lenient with the copyright claims because all it'll do is, oh, the monetization of that video that is presumably not being watched by anyone anyway has gone to whoever owns the music. and To it's whoever like, owns the claim, yes. Okay, cool, whatever. But this has been, over the past month or so, cropping up on videos that are 8 to 15 months old, and I'm just getting an email like, by the way, that video that you put in February has now got a copyright claim, and if that was on Twitch, that would be a strike against my account. That's the thing, and it's three strikes and you're out. So, And the thing that makes this so scary for content, especially ones where, like, as we mentioned, like decades worth of content is every individual clip made of that content. Say, for example, you had a hype moment on a stream one evening and a bunch of people clipped that and that clip happened to contain, or during that moment you were playing a song that got um, uh, the copyright holder did not approve of mm-hmm. and wanted to copyright strike you, every single clip of that counts as a separate strike. So you could lose your channel in one fell swoop. Yeah. And that's why a lot of content creators just deleted everything. Just better to be safe than sorry. That's the one, isn't it? And it's that thing of like um, uh, when push came to shove, it's like, well, the content's not worth it. It's not worth maintaining this archive of old content if my ability to create new content is um, uh, impeded upon. Yeah, and that's one thing that I always find, like, you know, not weird, but just it's something I have to explain a lot on stream is when I'm streaming, I'm always like, look, you can, you know, say, for example, you can join in and play with me if I'm, playing like a team game mm-hmm. um, but I'm going to make sure that I'm like muting everybody like no voice chat not no ability to come through my speakers nothing I'm not going to like accept messages from you yeah. just play the game with me and we can try and like work as a team without that vocal communication because I don't know who's on the other end of that line yeah and there's many things you could do um, in that situation to fuck you over both both monetarily and socially because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of ways I, c- I can think of like three ways right now where in that position I could ruin your Twitch channel and or um, ability to earn money online yep totally you, you could play some copyrighted music down the microphone yep. which would get you immediately flagged and could potentially like have your entire channel deleted um, you could scream racial slurs yep and that's a very like you no know, real risk when you're playing video games online it is and um, that's you know just to go off on a tangent like it's one of those, personally, I don't have any friends where I'd be like, oh, well, I'll play online, but, you know, mate, don't make those racist jokes that you make. Because I'm not, example, fr- I'm not friends with people who would do that. Yeah, I, I don't have any friends that would make those racist jokes, but that did happen on Game Grumps, but quite famously, is like, yeah. they were secretly deleting out moments where a certain person was being a horrible racist. Was being really racist and just like, Oh, when you hear like random, was it like elephant noises or something? Yeah, I think that's what they used to. Um... It's just, oh no, that was John being racist, and we just bleeped out. It's like great. And that's the thing, like you think, just just five, six years ago, that was something you could have in your content and not have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And the level of the speed at which culture has shifted to be like, no, fuck that, that's awful. It must be like giving some people whiplash. Yeah. And then the third way you could do is like um, any identifiable information. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing is like really baffling with so how ubiquitous streaming is. I still get pissed off when I boot my Xbox up and my home screen, which you'd think would be like a good thing to start for most streams. It's just a list of all the games that you've got. But just on Xbox, it just intermittently flashes with your username, which, okay, fair enough. You can't hide your username. But then the email address linked to the username. Yep. 
And there's no option on Xbox that I'm familiar with that just lets you press a button that says, hide this because I'm streaming. Mm -hmm. And that option, not having that option is baffling to me because Xbox owned a streaming service, which would not automatically filter out your email address, which would just be visible on screen. Yeah, and then there's also, you know, um, other things where not necessarily people that you're streaming with, but obviously um, people can try and, like, hit your... um, like Xbox or whatever and try and pull like your IPs and shit and that's why a lot of people use like VPNs because they have to pay to use a VPN to hide their IP address because somebody might just come in and try to fuck them over for fun yeah and then you also have the thing of when you're online especially like usernames you can't control someone else's username yeah people sometimes have racist ass usernames Mm -hmm. and that's something a similar thing we saw um, to that was um still ongoing now but I don't think I think it's died down a little when Twitch starts to get blowback for it was those bot raids where you get bot raids from a a a bot that would go into people's chats when they weren't live spam a bunch of racist abuse and then screenshot it and send it to Twitch to get you banned and I believe it's still happening like a lot of those hate raids are happening and stuff but they yeah we talked about doing like the idea that now people are outsourcing like the racists and bigots are getting more efficient in their bigotry yeah they're not doing it personally they're sending bots out like thousands at a time now but the idea that you can get someone kicked off the platform while they're not like you could wake up and be banned for something you did not do It's like, we're getting ever closer to that legendary joke in Friday of how the fuck did you get fired on your day off? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I went to bed after a big nice stream. And I woke up and there was a bunch of racist abuse in my chat when I was not live. Something Twitch could see because it has access to... Because every metric about a stream is saved on Twitch. Yeah, they know exactly when you are and aren't streaming. And yet they will still go... Yeah, but there was a bunch of hate in your chat and you didn't do anything about it. You didn't moderate it. I was asleep! And it's that thing of, as well, um, that bleeds into um, interactions that I've had, and presumably ones you've had too, of, um, I often get asked, why do you not have the chat on screen? And my personal preference is I don't like having too much on screen during a stream mm-hmm. that detracts from the real estate of the game. That's I, fair, yeah. I only have a webcam on there because without it, um, I people want to see your reactions. That's about the limit I draw. But then Mm -hmm. it gets to having a chat on screen. Well, all someone needs to do is post a bunch of racist shit and screenshot it before I have a chance to delete it. And now there is my face next to horrible slurs. Yeah. And I don't want that image to exist. (laughs) It's tough, yeah. That's the thing. If you're out there thinking, well, people would never do that, you know they would. There are people out there who would do all this shit and probably worse. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm really sorry. Look, I need to go for a bathroom break. Yeah, you you can see me wiggling, can't you? I can. <laughs> you can see the old Carl shuffle. The Carl shuffle and yeah. hustle. So I'll be back in a sec. So I apologise for that, Lucas. But whilst I was going to the bathroom, I was pondering the effervescent nature of uh, internet content and thought, right, so question for you. What is a kind or type of content or specific bit of content you think should be saved. Okay. Like, you know, what do you think, like, you know, we are morally obligated to save and archive future generations? And what do you think um, should be, already is saved, but should be, um, uh, like, less? Other people should give less of a shit about saving it. I mean, I certainly think that people should give less of a shit about 
you know, stupid stuff like gaming content. Okay. I think that is fairly disposable. And as much as, you know, it can bring people entertainment, I don't think it's important. It's not important. Okay, so um, uh, mine is the one that I think should be saved and archived for all future generations. Like the one I think is really important is movie trailers. Okay. Because a lot of the times, movie trailers do not have content that is in the final film. So they're lying about the film, essentially. That, yeah, too. So I and that I think a trailer, or at least a, a well-made one, is an, a piece of art in its own right, if done well. Mm. And I'm not saying art to be like hoity-toity and slimy on fast. But like, you know, art does not necessarily have to be highbrow. It can, it's, you know, a creation. Of course, And yeah. a lot of effort can be put into them. The same vein, like movie posters. Mm. And it's one of those things that's really frustrating to me. As I, like, we start this conversation, saying, like, a lot of early film is lost. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, if you go on YouTube and you type in, say, for example, I don't know, the trailer for Terminator 1, you'll go on and you'll just find, like, it's like this blurry-ass, like, mm. VHS, uh, blurry-ass, like, uh, transcript of a VHS recording from that. It's like, how do we not have a high-quality version of this? Yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. And I feel like, I'm sad that stuff like that is being lost because, especially with movies and pieces of entertainment that have a legacy and a pedigree now, the fact that, one of the earliest things people interact with in regards to that content can be lost or like not viewed in its highest quality. And it's bizarre to me as well that a similar thing with like video games happens, where even when we're talking about a game from maybe 10 years ago or less, and I'm trying to look up, you know, clips or trailers and stuff of the game on YouTube to use for fact thing content, mm-hmm. and it's like either doesn't exist or it's just some blurry 240p footage, and it's like, how does a high-quality version of like a certain cutscene not exist on the internet of like already you know captured and of decent quality? Yeah, and uh, it's, it's a bit less. Imp- I'd say it, I agree it's less important stuff like that because the game does exist. It just doesn't exist publicly. For people, you have to buy it. I mean, the same could you know this. Like, it's one of those of the same could be said of the movie, but I suppose the trailers yeah. for both games and movies and everything are a bit different, yeah. It's just I think um, they are an, such um, uh, a unique part of pop culture history. And they give you a glimpse not only into, again, like, you know, the people's first um, uh, impression of what content was going to be, what bits of media were going to be. It gives you an idea of, like, how it was sold. And mm. just by watching movie trailers... Um, you can see how film has evolved because like, have you ever watched like older movie trailers and they don't give a fuck? Oh yeah, I I thought that movie trailers now were spoilerific. They tell you the full story. Yeah, like the one for Terminator Two gives away the twist. It it totally just shows the twist happen. It and uh, the twist people don't know is that the Terminator in Terminator Two is a good guy. Something people know now because it's part of pop culture. Well, back in the day. on Arnold Schwarzenegger's T eight hundred. Yes, was the bad guy in the first one, and then turns out in the second one. To end up being the good guy, and it's another Terminator being the bad guy. It was supposed to be a twist, which you can see just from everything the film does up to the point where the Terminator says, get down. And there's interviews with James Cameron where he talks about how in test screenings, people lost their shit at that moment because they were like, oh, he's the good guy. Because they make the T-1000, it's physically less imposing, mm-hmm. and it takes the form of a police officer. Who is you know a trusted figure of authority at yeah. least to white kids because that's the <laughs> yeah. one to say like not to de- I would not trust a police officer today, especially one that looks like Robert Patrick. However, at you the know, time back in the eighties, I think it was a bit a bit less widespread. The you know 
the knowledge of like the, the rampant corruption and abuse of authority. But you know, it's a stereotypical trusted figure of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less physically imposing. It appears more human. He's yep. able to better emulate humanity, and it feigns emotion. Mm-hmm. And then the twist is, it's like, nope, that's the evil one. And as said, like James was like, yeah, in early screenings, people lost their shit. They were fucking like amazing. That's what they went for. The movie trailer got cut, ruined the twist. Yep. It, I think it even says he's back and he's a good guy oh, or something like oh. that as the opening line. And that's the thing. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's amazing that James Cameron spent all that time crafting that story for that moment, for that reveal, and it got fucking ruined by the trailer. Because, yeah, that it, if you watch that movie, I never watched it at the time of release. I wasn't even born at the time of release. I think it's 92 but, it came out. Well, maybe I was just born you were, then. You were zero years yeah, old. Yeah, exactly. So um, I thought it was like a bit earlier than that, but yeah. Um, I wasn't of age to watch it. So when I did watch it, when I was in like, you know, my early teens, I I, I didn't have it spoiled for me in any way. I just kind of heard Terminator 2 was a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the entire time it it is shot in a way which makes you think just from, as you say, like stereotypes and um, posture and behavior and stuff. And like, framing of them, where yeah. the, T1, the T-800 is framed from below to make it physically more imposing, scarier, like top, typically used um, to uh, invoke feelings of fear and dominance. Yeah, and the entire time is very well crafted by James Cameron. And, and just ruined by ruined. the trailer. And that's the thing. And that's, and that's something that I think is important, especially if you're like myself, you studied media and film theory. Mm-hmm. That's a really, a really good example of that. It's useful um, as like an academic tool. Yeah, and I could probably say that for every trailer that's of note like that, there's, there's a, a hundred that are just complete useless trash. And forgettable. At the same time, I think they, they're still valuable. Um, I'm reminded of a quote from Don LaFontaine, who is um, uh, the guy who did like the in a world. He's that oh, guy. Right, He's yeah. the voiceover trailer guy. And they asked him once, "What, what goes through your mind when you were like, you no, know, reading a, a script, and it's for a movie that's really bad?" Mm. And he said, "Well, first things first. I never got to see the movies. I'm like these trailers are made long before the movies finished. Oh, a lot of massively, cases. yeah. And some, and I would be given you know, a basic plot summary." So I could, like, you know, if I wanted to make changes to the script, off, like, you know, with my years of doing this, maybe mm-hmm. I'd make some suggestions of what would sound better. But the thing I always had in my mind is, this is going to be someone's favourite movie, and I'm speaking to that person. Yeah. Fair. And I thought it was yeah. a really nice way of looking at it. Like, you might think it's a terrible fucking movie, but it's someone's favourite movie, and I want to speak to them. Somebody out there likes the second Smurf film. Yeah, they do. It's someone's favourite movie. Yeah. And, like, you know, he's speaking to them. So I think in that... With that in mind, I would say even those bad ones still have value because we've talked before about the idea of like bad media being a useful resource and tool mm-hmm. to teach people how to view and like um, evaluate media critically. Yeah, and we have talked about that in the past, and I think like I think it's more useful certainly for TV shows and movies just because there's not as much of a pushback. Whereas when you're playing through an awful video game, that is difficult because, to yeah. physically make it through because you're the one inputting the actions. There's like active resistance to your enjoyment and ability to get through the thing. Whereas like, if you're going to watch Trolls 2 or the Emoji movie, you just need to sit down and stare in a general direction. Yeah, and uh, it's very rare that a film can actively put you off from watching it unless it can, unless it's like, you know, just so bad 
that you find it offensive. Yeah, the emoji move. Yeah. <laughs> or contains content that you find like morally reprehensible. Yeah, that also, yes. So the emoji movie. Yeah. And in that vein, Lucas, um, is there anything then you think that is? So we said like this is stuff that is archived. I'm forgetting what did you give your answer because we kind of went off on the tangent. Uh, yeah, so I talked about the stuff that I think is fairly disposable and it's like, you know, people gaming opening con- loot boxes on YouTube. Like, gaming content. Not all gaming content, like, don't get me wrong, but things that are just, I'm playing a game on YouTube or whatever or streaming a game. Like, you know, I, we do it all the time. I don't yeah. think that stuff like that is important and I don't think like any of that should really be saved to be viewed back on in 20 years time I don't think that's of importance okay and then I said something that should be say so now it's for you is there something that you think is not archive or people don't put enough effort into archiving and saving it that there should be put more effort into it um, or you know that question worded better because <laughs> that was yeah. worded really poorly I'm sorry no and like I mean again this is just what my my first thing pops into my head I could probably sit down and think of a better answer yeah maybe if folks haven't got a better one email it to us yeah because we should mention we're going to do a Q&A episode at some point in the next couple of weeks Carl's Corner QA at gmail.com there we go send your questions there and um, I forgot we didn't do that yeah we, we keep forgetting to plug that near the start where people are actually listening but yeah um, I just think that like we need to just work on games preservation that is a strong one yeah because um we, we meant again. We touched on films like a lot of early films are lost forever, but games being like they're so modern, they're mm-hmm. like relatively or comparatively a modern form of media, and a lot of the times, well, their existence is based in physical media that people yeah. have in their homes. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you can understand a film reel getting lost. It's a fucking film reel that eighteen people probably handled, yeah, and yeah. requires like you know specialist equipment to play. When it's something like a video game that you could just walk into any store and buy, the idea of that going missing and disappearing forever yeah, is, like, baffling. It's very, very bizarre to me that there are so many... I mean, there's so many licensed games that are literally lost to history because they got removed from stores and stuff. Yeah, the Deadpool game's a good example of that. Where that's a game that came out within, like, I want to say, like, last ten years. Uh... I think it might have been like 09, it 10, might have been something a bit like that. But it's in the within 2000s. the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And you can walk into stores and buy that game. Like It's difficult, but you can find copies. You might be able to find a second-hand copy somewhere, yeah. But the publisher, just you're not allowed to buy it anymore. Just the, the Marvel license ran out so five years after it. the game came out or whatever. So they just took it back. Yep. And a similar thing happens to a lot of digital-only games. I know that, um, for example, like Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, the video game. Couldn't buy that. Which... You couldn't buy that for years, and it did just get a re-release earlier this year, but for years, it was a case of, well, if you've already purchased it, then good on you, but if you haven't, it's gone. And The it's... idea is well that, like, um, a digital storefront, with the exception as if, like, the entire storefront shuts down, as long as it, it exists, the idea that a digital storefront, realistically, has infinite space... Yeah, there are an infinite amount of copies that you can sell. Yeah, and there's an infinite amount of... Like, in this metaphorical shelf, there is no limit to the amounts that can go on it. The only real limit is how much money the company who runs the store has for storage. And mm-hmm. if it's something like Microsoft or PlayStation, infinite, effectively. Uh, yeah. And that they can the idea they can take things off this completely virtual shelf mm-hmm. for no reason other than a company involved with its production. Not even the company who made it in a lot of cases... A company involved with production support does not want it to be available yeah. for sale anymore because they're not getting their cut. In 
for example, I think it might have been Universal that was a problem with the Scott Pilgrim game. But then there's also ones where it's just um, we do not want it there anymore. Like, for example, the playable teaser PT. It's gone. People very famously um, keep their PS4s unupdated. Because they released an update that uninstalled it from people's consoles? Yeah, so not only were they happy with removing it from the PlayStation Store, making it completely unavailable to re-download, they then released an update to remove it manually from anybody's hard drive that still had it. And when it gets to that point, I go all the way around and start respecting it again. Because it goes back to a Markiplier making a channel that he just deleted. Mm -hmm. I see it as that level of. It's such an additional extra step of pettiness that it goes all the way around to being like, oh, that's amazing. (laughs) It's just to remove it is one thing, but to actively install an update that removes it from people's consoles who've taken the extra steps to try and save it, I kind of have to respect that level of pettiness. A little bit, but also for Konami. Oh, yeah. Um, It's like, in a similar vein, something that... I I don't like it, but because it's so absurd, I kind of... Again, I respect it in a weird way because it's so dickish to do. mm. Um, The game Grand Theft Auto 4, which they released an update for that removed music from the game. Yeah, because the... The 10-year licenses that they had for the songs on the radio expired. So they released an update that made the game objectively worse because it removed content. It removed it. And the idea that you can release an update that takes things away is incredible. Speaking of which, the Grand Theft Auto Remastered Trilogy is about to come out. They've removed the original versions of the game from the storefronts. You have to now buy the trilogy version. And here's the thing. Have they released a song list yet? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I want to look that up right now because so much of... I, I spoke to a lot of people about this. Um, so do you want to explain to me why I quickly check it out like, what we're discussing here? It's the, the remaster of Grand Theft Auto 3, Vice City and San Andreas, yes? Yeah, all of which have banging soundtracks. Yes. Um, or at least Vice City and San Andreas do. I can't remember about 3. But people revere the soundtracks of those um, Grand Theft Auto games. And yeah... They might be re-releasing them and remastering them without those soundtracks, well, potentially. Here's the thing. Yeah, because I just Googled it, and they've not confirmed what the soundtracks are in. Which makes me think... The fact they've not confirmed it makes me think that they've not been able to get all the licenses. Think about when Tony Hawk's 1 and 2 remaster came example, out. yes. Um, they almost opened up immediately with... Here's a song list that we're bringing back, including Superman, don't worry. Because they knew that so much of the nostalgia for that series is rooted in the music. Well, I say, I don't have much nostalgia for playing those games. Mm -hmm. I have nostalgia for listening to those games. The music is 100% a part of the experience of playing those games. It's an informative part of mine and many people's music taste. And every single person I've spoken to about that game, because they're excited about it, it's like, oh, I can't wait to listen to Insert Song. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lucas, like, do you have any particular favourite songs from the soundtrack of um, uh, either of those games? Are we talking about Vice City and San Andreas? Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy listening to Freebird, just driving, just cruising. Yeah, because um, I believe the first time I ever heard Toto's Africa, a song which I am oh. now synonymous with in yeah. my online persona, um, on Vice City. I heard a lot of songs for the first time in those games. And I remember what I used to do is I'd go get a boat, get a boat, and I'd put cinematic camera mode on, and I'd play, I don't know what the radio station was, but I'd put the radio station on, I'd total on it, 
and I just get the bow and I use it as a screensaver. And then just burr, 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 yeah. burr, 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 I used to go. To, I used to use it to go to sleep. Oh, really? I used to put like the smooth, like soft rock station on with just the noise of the waves. And I really hope they keep the the um, is it the Laszlo's radio station on because they had so much like audio for those radios. And Laszlo is a fictional um, host host of the uh, radio show in every single Grand Theft Auto game from mm-hmm. like Vice City to Five or, or something. Yeah, and then uh, in San Andreas, um, Lucas, I think. Not, San Andreas is not particularly sounds like radio stations, and I'm just I'm, I'm gonna wait for you to say what was your favorite radio station, and there's only one correct answer. Well, it was here. the rock one. I can't remember what it's called. No, it's, that's the wrong answer, Lucas. It's K Rose FM. Real gangsters listen to K Rose. They listen to the country western station. Oh, no, I didn't listen to K Rose. You didn't listen to K Rose. I, I listened to the rock station or the chit chat one where they like gossip shit about people. That one was pretty good. And they like, had like fake drama on the radio show. I was like, I respect this. Yeah, so I've been unable to find um, any definitive information about the song. Which list. doesn't give me confidence when the game's out in four, uh, like ten days. Yeah, it does not bode well. But I found an article here which is detailing um, the numerous songs that have been removed. So we mentioned earlier, like they, okay, release, yeah. they periodically release updates for these games. The PS2 version will have all these songs in it, but there exist versions on like... Um, on, PC on Steam on Steam on what was on the Xbox Store and yeah. on the PlayStation Store, but now that they've been removed, so that you can buy the trilogy versions, um, the remasters, they periodically would be um, updated to remove content. Okay, and that's amazing. The associate but some of the songs that are missing from Vice City are um, all the Michael Jackson songs that were in it, um, Ozzy Osbourne songs, and Lionel Richie songs. And then in San Andreas, they've got they removed a two-pack song, NWA. More Ozzy Osbournes, they removed Rage Against the Machine songs, um, James Brown's songs, um, uh, Tom Petty's songs, and Song by the Blood Sisters. Bloody hell. And one of the things I really don't like about this as well is that because those games are set in a very specific era, like Vice mm. City is rooted in the 80s. Yeah. One of the things that I think they did is to replace these songs that they're getting rid of, they put in new songs they put in new songs from now oh no and there's like rumours that oh yeah Dr. Dre's allowed to like use some of his new music in the San Andreas remaster like, but, but that's set in the 90s so it's, it's anachronistic music that doesn't exist and it takes you out of that world it's anachronistic because it's music that did not exist and also the style of music has changed like yeah. hip hop from like, you know late 90s early 2000s is very specific in its sound mm-hmm. and the music in that getting you know, it forms the style and tone of the game same way in Vice City, like the music of the eighties was very distinct in how it yeah. sounds. A lot of like distinct qualities to music from that era, and to put modern music in it, it ruins, ruins that. the tone. And that's what they did in, and the same is true of Grand Theft Auto Four. Oh, well, Grand Theft Auto Four is like early two thousands, two thousand tens. Yeah, you know, just like you no know, couple of years after nine eleven, like mm-hmm. that, just vaguely defined political era in American history. Yeah, early noughties, yeah. And all, all, again, all the music is representative of that era and helps sell the tone of the game. And they released updates that put in new songs. Oh, God. And presumably that is because it's they easier to get new, new songs license. or cheaper to get the new licenses and whatnot, yeah. So if you're going to do a, a soundtrack, okay, it's set in the 80s, well, you, there's probably a lot of songs that were on the radio in the 80s that no fucker remembers. Mm-hmm. But no fucker remembers them, so they don't want to listen to them. Yeah. 
you need the bangers of that decade. You need like Mike, you need some songs from Michael Jackson. Yeah. You need to have some Lionel Richie hits. But it's really expensive to license Michael Jackson songs. And then to keep those licenses running for like 15, 20, 30 years. Especially as well when they know it's going to be going into a Grand Theft Auto game. Because mm-hmm. I have a sneaking suspicion that um, Rockstar got a lot of those songs back in the day for a fucking steal. Because video games were not as big a part of culture as they are now. True, whereas now the licensing agreements are going to be strong awning the fact, no, you're fucking Rockstar and you have GTA V. Yeah, we, Grand Theft Auto is now a part of pop culture. Like, it has been part of us, like, just... I mean, Grand Theft Auto was popular on the PS2, but it wasn't GTA V popular. Yeah. Like, like, I remember San Andreas being like, level. San Andreas was like an event, but I still mm. think musicians didn't... Maybe it's, they didn't, like... I struggle to think of a word besides respect. It's probably not the best way to describe it. Well, they didn't anticipate Maybe they just a... underestimated it. Yeah. Like they thought, well, you can get paid like you know, a couple thousand dollars to license your song for a video game. Mm-hmm. Oh, can people play it in the car? Well, no, they can't. They're going to listen to it. They play it on their game. Okay, sure. Yeah. But yeah, all of this just kind of like is um, a very good thing to bring up in terms of yeah, game preservation. And that's the, the kind of thing where I'm like, it, the way to go and play those Grand Theft Auto games with the original soundtrack is to now have the, the original, original version on a disc on like your PlayStation 2 or Xbox where they cannot update it and touch the soundtrack. And it's such a bizarre thing. We even mentioned last week about all the troubles with like all the controversy around Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack and the emulation and stuff. Yeah. And technically, you are not getting the same experience as you would when you originally played those games. But for better or worse, yeah. it's not the original experience. And to bring it back into Twitch, it's amusing. Not amusing, but it's going to be... Um, actually, no, I do think it's amusing. It's going to be funny, at least to me, to see uh, people who played those games, I'm going to start for them, um, find a way to stream them. Oh, yeah. Because I remember when Tony Hawk's 2 came out, and I think me and you both had the same theory that despite that game... Is it Tony Hawk's remaster? I think it's called. It's Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 HD. Okay, so that title, which is, as the name suggests, a remaster of a, a remake of the first two Tony Hawk's mm-hmm. games, which includes a lot of the songs from the original. Like they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, and, and they it, put a lot of effort into getting old songs that were fun favourites back, but also updating them to have a bit of a modern soundtrack as well. Yeah, and but like a they, bit of a mix. Uh, but they understood. Um, and it was made very clear from like the earliest trailers and announcements of that game. We know that the soundtrack was like, you know part important. of important. Here's like the first thirty five songs that we're willing to un- unveil. Plus, you'll also get a here's a list of how many other songs that we're going to release as part of the marketing campaign hype and stuff. They knew from second one that it was really important. Yeah, and uh, but and but despite that game being by all accounts very good, I never hear anyone talk about it. And I think our theory about it is. Well, as good as the game is, no fucker's going to risk streaming it or playing it on yep. um, uh, YouTube or anything because the second you play that game, your Twitch channel is at risk of being deleted, as we mentioned, or you, the video you release on YouTube is going to make no money and thus has no value to you as a creator. And it's a very awkward thing to play that game without music. Because, because as the music's you, so integral to the experience. The only other sound effects in that game, people might not really think about it, but are just... The skateboard itself, so just the wheels rolling along the floor, and, and then the grunts when they fall. That's so it's just a silent game with like, uh, uh, ah, it's a completely it. yeah um, different experience. A 
really surreal and unnerving experience. It's kind of haunting a little bit, yeah. Because it's like, oh, it really illustrates how integral the soundtrack is to the enjoyment and experience of playing those games. And I want to, I'm curious to see how that's going to like play out with Grand Theft Auto. Those games are going to get played. People, those games yeah. are going to be like you know one of the best selling games of this year. One hundred percent. But it will be a lot easier to avoid that because you can keep the music on. You can just set your radio station to like the talk show, and yeah, you won't be able to play those songs on stream mm-hmm. for a fear of copyright strike. But you can still get some other background noise while you're driving. You can put yeah. the chat show on or whatever it is. Just the idea that um, uh, something that's so integral to it to the point where. My, I, I am researching it live on during recording and cannot find any confirmation from the company because they know. Yeah, and it's it's weird because like um, I've actually recently had this with a game that's just come out, which is um, Guardians of the Galaxy game. Um, I was tempted to to get that game and go through it on. That's gonna have stream. so much licensed music in it. But it's it, the entire soundtrack is just a licensed like mess, and I believe that there is some kind of streamer mode in it, but it either replaces them with generic nonsense that nobody cares about, or it just removes the music. I'm not quite sure. The thing is, though, streamer mode is such an interesting concept because I appreciate that they're realising, okay, we don't want to play licensed music, mm-hmm. so here's a mode that removes it all from the game so you can still enjoy it and stream it. Like, but, but that's part of the enjoyment of playing the game in the first and place. And the fact as well that rather than try and, you know... While they're making the game, because that means if they've got a streamer mode in the game, the people making the game acknowledge that people want to stream it and that the music, because of how bullshit DMCA claims that on Twitch and on YouTube, they're going to be wholly unable to. Their solution is to remove it rather than convince the publisher. Like maybe don't be dicks about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just looked it up here. Uh, players can toggle streamer mode on and off at will. With a licensed music option in the um, audio menu, the effect is immediately noticeable from the game start screen. Um, and it's like, the, literally, from the start screen, it starts with like them doing a thumbs up to the music on the ship, but there's nothing playing. Oh, they didn't even get like just generic background stop music? It doesn't look like it. Um, Isn't that like, is it Last, not Last of Us 2? Uh, uh, oh God, what's the game? Yeah, here it just says, and it's the silence that's the real killer, and it's just man. When so it's complete silence, not like not even like it hits the mute button on all of the license structure. Oh, what's the game I'm thinking of now? Uh, Life is strange. Is it Life is strange too? Has a streamer mode? And they Life have, like, is an, strange. I think it was True Colors, the newest one. And they have like an entire choreographed dance number where they're you, air guitaring to a song but you can put if with streamer mode on they just they don't replace the music they just remove it yep. so it just looks like they're dancing around their room like jackasses yeah it's just two people like jumping up and down to nothing and like air guitaring to no noise and all you can hear is like the noise of their shoes hitting the floor as they're jumping up and down that's again that goes all the way around to being almost experimental and I kind of like that it's almost a different form of art in itself. Yeah, I think they need to like cut stuff like that out. And like you know, the, the starting screen mm-hmm. of just like all the guys of a galaxy giving a big goofy thumbs up in time with the non-existent music. <laughs> and they just need to just have that as an example of like why the music industry needs to be reined the fuck in. Yeah, because like you are robbing people of like a, a 
crafted experience because they're so afraid that you're going to sue like some fucker streaming it to eight people. Yeah, and that's that's where it really comes into me is like I that's a game just, with, made by Marvel, and if Marvel yeah, are scared, I I can't get over like how much it is big companies punching down because this is essentially for the most. I know that this is obviously a very small subsect of people are even going to be a streamer who is playing this game. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a percentage of a percentage of the people are going to have this problem. But it's enough of a problem where the people making the game have acknowledged it with a literal button you can press. Yeah. And, and their solution is not one that has any finesse or tact. It's just cut it wholesale. From cut it. it out. But it's, yeah, it's a bunch of people are going to have, like, one viewer... 10 viewers, 20 viewers, and these massive corporations are just making people basically either play the game without its soul or playing the game, or not playing the game, sorry, at all, because they're scared. They're scared of getting absolutely hammered down on by whatever music company it is. And that's, it's impressive. And to me, it's just bizarre because... I get that they still want a streamer to stream the game because it's free publicity. But it makes it look so much worse. The the is objectively worse. Like you said, second one, Mm -hmm. it completely just ruins the tone they were trying to establish. And like at that point, why even fucking bother? At that point, it's not worth promoting that game because, as I said, it's kind of like removing the soul of the game because Guardians of the Galaxy because of the James Gunn movies, is so intrinsically linked with its soundtrack now. It's like, imagine, like we mentioned Terminator 2 earlier, that opening scene without Bad to the Bone playing. Like, imagine <laughs> if ZZ Top got pissed off when you're allowed to do Bad for the Bone. Yeah. So there's, like, there's a couple of films where stuff like that has happened. I want to say I watched um, uh, American Psycho the other day. Mm. Um, it's the first time I've seen it. Really good film. Highly recommended. I don't think any of you have said it. It's like fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. And they have a number of scenes in that set to music. And there is a moment in the film where Patrick Bateman is killing somebody while they're supposed to be playing a Whitney Houston song. Mm. And the story behind the scenes is it was filmed with that song in mind. Christian Bale, as a method actor, was listening to that song when they right. did it. Yeah. But they couldn't get permission from Whitney Houston, so they had to use an orchestral remix of the song that they could get the license rights to. And that's the version of the song that plays during that scene, and it completely annihilates the town. For me... The, the, like, all I can imagine now for some reason is just, I'm thinking in my head, imagine the scene in Reservoir Dogs where, like, stuck in the middle with you is playing. And it's not playing. And it's not playing, like, a different version no, of the song. Complete like, diff- silence. Yeah, complete silence. It's like that. Him dancing towards him with the knife. Like, that would yeah. somehow be more threatening. <laughs> That'd be scarier. <laughs> it's like, for some reason, that, that scene just played in my head and it's. How awkward would that be if that song wasn't playing? If, like, Stuck in the Middle with You just was deleted out of that scene? I would adore... Like, that actually sounds scarier. Like, have you ever seen <laughs> um, those edits people do of stuff like... Um, you know, uh, like Friends and Big Bang Theory? Where Without people, the laugh tracks. And they edit out the laugh tracks. And it's, again, it's experimental. I think that should be considered a new form of media. Like at that point, that's transformative enough to be in its own thing. Where you just watch every single line is followed up by five seconds of dead silence as everyone stares blankly at each yeah. other. And I'd argue that, it's like I said, it's transformative. And mm-hmm. it's the equivalent of, have you ever, I'm going somewhere with this, seen the thing 
uh, someone did with Garfield, where it's Garfield without oh, Garfield. Oh, and then they made Garfield, Chris Pratt got it, yeah. Yeah, that, that's funny. <laughs> but if people don't know, there's a very famous, and I'm going to say it's famous because it was acknowledged by the original creator of Garfield, mm. um, where a very famous edit of Garfield comes, where they remove Garfield from the comics okay. and just present the panels as they were presented initially, just without Garfield it's in them. It's just John. It's just John, and it, they are... I keep saying, like, it's avant-garde. <laughs> and it's, it's like, because it's the only way I can think to describe it, because it's just, it, you ask, it completely changes the meaning of everything, where it's like, it's no longer a shitty comic about a man talking to his cat like lasagna. It is just a man having a series of mental breakdowns. Yeah. and Just alone in his apartment. Yeah, and the original creator of Garfield liked that so much. He wrote new Garfield comics and then removed Garfield from them <laughs> and then added them to a book of edits called Garfield Without Garfield. He officially signed <laughs> off on it. That's so cool. And that those edits people do of Friends, like Friends Without the Laugh Track, Big Bang Theory Without the Laugh Track, they, they're like that. Where Garfield Without the, Chris Pratt. Let's do it. <laughs> Like, like, the tone of the entire show is flipped on its head. It's like you said um, in Friends. It's just five to ten seconds of dead silence after every single joke, quote-unquote. Which is pretty much every other line in most scenes. Like, any scene at, like, Central Perk, where it's not one of the drama scenes or anything, it's just, oh, Chandler says quip, silence as everyone stares at each other. Phoebe says retort, silence as they all stare at each other. It's, oh. And the reason that I like that is because um, when you watch the show like that, because um, if you it's like take the, the show, like it's a, an, a heightened version. Like most sitcoms are just a heightened version of our own reality. They, they aim for that, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the, like their version of Earth and reality is the exact same as ours, bar the fact that, you know, just people attracted people in their 30s or work or have enough free time to hang out every single day yeah but for the most part their world yeah. is like ours they mm-hmm. interact with people like ours they work they pay taxes and uh, their history is the same as ours but when you watch it without the laugh track all you see is a bunch of awkward people who cannot talk to each other yeah it's weird as fuck like watching friends without chandler or without the laugh track uh, something you notice is that chandler has never or you might be able to do it if you can't find there's, there's only a couple of us edits out there mm. just watch an episode and then mentally remove the laugh track with your own head like with your imagination and you'll see that Chandler has never once told a single joke that any of his friends laughed at but Ever. as well um, characters generally don't laugh to anything no that's the thing because, because the, the audience, audience are there to laugh so it's really weird where in a world where like funny things happen for the most part the people in the scene the people Part of the action don't really react because it's the live audience's job to do that. Yes, and that's the thing. Like, um, Chandler's a great example of this because, like, he's supposed to be the funny one. His archetype is the funny guy, mm-hmm. and no one in his own universe has ever once laughed at anything he said, except for one episode where they laugh sarcastically to make him feel better. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. And then the only other time is like him laughing at his own jokes quietly as the laugh track comes in yes and it might be a laugh track i think it is a live audience a lot of the time with um, friends i think a lot of that they had like live audience on set so it's not necessarily a laugh track but it's still ostensibly the same thing but it's just that really funny thing that if you watch it and mentally remove the laugh track it's like with big bang theory Mm. where it is just a group of awkward nerds 
who don't know how to talk to each other because it is a sentence, complete silence for 10 seconds, and then a response. And it's fucking weird. It is. And obviously this is just... That's the medium of working with a laugh track. Yeah. Um, And it's just... You realise how weird it is when you remove the laugh track and how devoid it is from any actual life. Yeah, uh, it is not representative of the reality we exist in, despite ostensibly portraying itself to be one. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things where that is me crawling up my own ass. But it's very funny to do, especially with something like Friends. Yeah. Because just it's really amusing. I said it to my girlfriend. like She'd not watched Friends. Oh, right, she yeah, somehow managed to get through life without watching Friends. But, I mean, I mean, she's a little bit younger, so therefore it wasn't as pervasive, I guess. I mean, it's also just like her parents didn't find it funny. So if her yeah. parents didn't find it funny, they didn't watch it, she didn't watch it. But yeah, exactly. when we were watching it through, she's like, did people laugh at this? Did people find this funny? People thought Chandler was one of the funniest characters ever. People would quote Chandler. Like, he was, like, the 90s version of whatever Vine star, TikTok star, kids quote now. People <laughs> fucking loved him. And like the only, I swear, the the only joke Chandler ever tells that is actually funny, because it's a genuine quip. Mm. It's not like you know a written gag. I'm pretty sure it was ad libbed um, by uh, Matthew Perry. Is when Monica gets ice in her eye, and she goes, ah ah, she's like, oh I got ice in my eye, and Chandler just goes, well maybe you should put some ice on it. And it's the only line ever that's funny because it's a genuine funny yeah. quip it's from the act- that somebody would actually say in yeah. real life. Rather than just, like, the Chandler, like, sarcastic quote. That's the thing, like, as well, his entire humour is him being a sarcastic asshole. And when you take away the laugh track, it's just him making a sarcastic quip, his friends not saying anything for ten seconds, not acknowledging it, and then continuing with the conversation. Oh, that's just my life. Don't describe it that <laughs> way. Thing, if you imagine that in real life, that would be, you would not... You would be a, an anxious ball of nerves. You'd never talk. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why he's so fucked up. Maybe it is. That'd be great. And I think we got a little bit, again, off topic there. So we talk about something I delete forever. Oh, Possibly. yeah, we didn't get around to what you like, would get Something I think should be... And I can't think now. I had, a, I had an answer, and now I don't. I did have We an did answer. go quite far off topic. We there, did, yeah. yes. And No, I can't think. Maybe, like, something important. Just to see. The news. Yeah. No, actually, no. That's probably, <laughs> we can't, that's we can't probably, do that. That's, that's too like, far. That's, like, very Stalin-esque. Isn't yeah. it? I think we should delete historical record. <laughs> Because that's the I'm of the mindset. There's some stuff that gets deleted that should be kept. Of like, when people like edit, not edit tweets when they edit news stories to reflect updates. Like, I think Uh, one of the earliest podcasts we did for the pandemic was Mm. the Chrissy Teigen thing. Do you remember the specifics of that? Of that writer Alison Roman, where she made a comment offhand that was read as really fucking racist. Oh yes. Uh, so for people who maybe like didn't listen to that episode, I want like uh, just didn't listen. To, for people who didn't listen to that episode, I want a reminder of it. It was a writer for the New York Times, Alison Roman, was in the middle of an interview uh, promoting her new book, and during that interview, uh, made an offhand comment that could be read to be racist. Mm-hmm. And the writer of the article, in something I've never seen any other journalist do, updated the article. Um, at the behest of Alison Roman to change one of her quotes to something she did not say to make it sound less racist and then didn't tell anyone in the article edit. But, obviously, it's one of those things of it had already been out there, people yes. caught wind of it. And then Internet Archive saved it, which mm-hmm. is a very important resource um, uh, that I think people, I know, should 
be supported. But the idea that they were able to literally change reality because it didn't suit the person. Because like, that's the thing, it's a quote. A quote is a quote. And they changed the quote to reflect what she did not say because she argued it was not reflective of her intention. However, if you know you were doing it the proper way, you would keep the quote in and add an edit. Um, Which they we did. We have had a clarifying comment from remain which they, here is what she said after. which they did after the fact when people pointed out the fuck are you doing this is not good journalistic practice is in fact you are rewriting history because you are telling us that she said something she did not say because she didn't want it to be taken the wrong way it is in fact completely against journalistic practice yes and stuff like that i think that's what needs to be archived the fuck ups mm. because fuck ups like that i don't think you should be able to change them like there's like there is nothing wrong with updating an article. There's nothing wrong with like, you know, no. like, as you know, as news articles like you know in an ongoing news story. Well, you always need to have like the record, the record at the top or the bottom of the the um the article. You need preferably the top. Every yeah, edit preferably the top. Yes, every um, edit that's been made. Edit number one. Here's what we changed. Edit number two. We reflected. Even fucking redditors do this. Yes. Like, Redditors come in and go edit, like, grammar or edit. I added a clarification statement and stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. And uh, and I think those things should absolutely be saved for posterity because they are, again, a valuable resource. Because I would say that I like that um, story I mentioned there, that should be taught in journalism 101. Mm. That should be, like, number one with a bullet of, okay, journalistic good practice. Like, here's your shit. Um, here's an article... Read it, and then then I want you to like read the updates here, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, the "Fuck!" They changed a quote to reflect something the person did not say. Yes, and why should you not do that? Because it's not reflective of what was said, and that's very good. What should you also not do? Uh, and if you are going to change something, who should you not change it at the behest of? Oh, the person who made the quote. Yeah, you should not like. You should not allow your journalistic impartiality to be influenced by a person you are reporting on, because yeah, that's bizarre. wrong. It's one thing to go in and edit you, yourself because you want to add a clarification, or you want to seem you want to change. Because there's plenty of times people have done that. Like, I want to say YouTube, especially where people edit things to make them look like they're on the right side of history. Or they'll like something. go in and they'll sort of teach like no delete or remove all the content that problematic stuff. And again, mm-hmm. I think that yeah. that should be saved because mm-hmm. it is important for culture and for academic resource and you know for teaching people. Same thing like you know, like Disney try. I've we talked for like Disney trying to like remove old content that has like racist shit in it. It's like no, mm. you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. That yeah. needs you need to save it because to remove it is to pretend it did not exist. And, and I think did. the way that they do it on Disney Plus is like at oh, least for what? the classic Disney movies has like, oh here's a content warning and like, I think they should go into a bit more depth about what is wrong with it. They don't want to know. They very much like skittishly go over the what the actual problem is it's just this may contain problematic issues and that's or, the, and you know that's my issue with it you shouldn't be able to skirt by by saying this has it's like what are they mm-hmm. let's have this actual conversation and obviously the let's have a quote on the record of you saying it the the disney plus is oh well this kid might be watching a movie maybe go have a chat with an adult about it but yeah, it's still very much trying to get away with it without um, any consequences. Yeah, so I'm not sure why anything I'd want to delete besides what we've already talked about. I've just, I think um, creators need to, or not creators, I think fans of creators 
um, they need to um, maybe just reflect on um, the feelings of not, not every fan, but like someone, especially ones that form a parasocial relationship, need to reflect upon the sense of shared ownership they have over content and acknowledge that an artist or creator is within their rights to remove or change things at their be- at their leisure. But the line I would draw is if the reason they're changing it is not for their artistic integrity. Or the, to try and save their ass for yeah, some Yeah, try reason. to save face. At that point, I think, okay, you can change it, but the original needs to be... It needs to exist in some form. Yeah, it's like... Um, so it can serve as a teaching tool and a resource. If stuff like that is removed in its entirety, um, it's like, you know, it's the old thing of like, those who do not remember history are doomed to repeat it, just on a, an admittedly smaller and less globally impactful scale. Maybe anything... With the words, I apologize. Oh, need they to def- be, oh. need to just remove the option to delete that ever. Apology videos by YouTubers who've been racist, and so they need to be kept. Yeah, and the posts that they put up and stuff like a week later, go through and just delete everything off the record. And it's like, I've done my part. It's like, no, you haven't. Oh, are they going like a social media rant? Mm. Like, stuff like that needs to be archived, just so we know. But uh... it's a reflection of you as a person. You know what? Like going off on a weird tangent about journalistic integrity. Okay. Um, it's just I just want to talk about the the Sam Raimi Spider Man movie, which I rewatched like last week. Okay, I rewatched the Sam Raimi movies um, every now and then. Yeah. No, I rewatched it last week. My, oh, did my you? girlfriend had not seen it start to finish. She'd so, only seen the third one. I was like, "What do you mean you've only seen the third yeah, one?" Yeah, that's we're definitely movie. watching the first one then. Um, yeah, so it was on Netflix, and I was just like, "I'm going to watch it." Like, fuck um, it, it's a good movie. It's a decent movie. Um, <laughs> It's a fantastic movie, I think you'll find. Um, but I, I love the fact that not only J. Jonah has that line where he clarifies, um, is That's it's not slander, slander it's libel. libel. Slander's spoken, libel's in print. Um, but I always kind of glossed over the fact that he is shown as being a really shitty person and going after Spider-Man and doesn't give a flying fuck. He's like, well, if Spider-Man's not going to come to us, I'm going to make everybody hate him. Yeah, blah, it's like, blah, blah. if you don't want to be famous, I'll make him infamous. Yeah, and then, but the moment Green Goblin bombs his fucking office and says, where the fuck is the guy that takes photos of Spider-Man? I kind of glossed over the fact Peter Parker's right there. No, oh, yeah, and he says, oh, this stuff comes in the mail. Yeah, and he, he stalwart staring this guy with disintegration bombs in his hand. A guy he knows, for a fact, has murdered people because Peter Parker brings in photos of him doing that. (laughs) He sits there, looks at Peter Parker and goes, oh yeah, his stuff comes in the mail. I don't know who the guy is. What's um, And he protects his staff uh, like at the behest of a fucking supervillain. That's the thing. It's uh, one of those little... One of the nice things about the Raimi trilogy is that there is always an underlying optimism mm. to the films. And the people of New York, or the version of the world he presents, is inherently optimistic, like a comic book. Because you have met multiple scenes in all the movies that he um, made in that trilogy of people just being good. Mm-hmm. And the one exception to that is the scene where Peter Parker loses his powers and he just watches the guy get mugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and then that's a teaching lesson. It's a teaching moment of like, you know, because he's ignoring Uncle Ben's teachings. And I think... I want to say that even the colour grading in those scenes is deliberately darker and less vivid mm, than it is in yeah. other scenes to show that the version of the world is less colourful, less hopeful. And then, you know, Spider-Man 3 happened, but whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, I love the fact that even though he's portrayed as like this shitty guy that's just running like a tabloid newspaper and doesn't give a flying fuck, 
he still has his integrity and he has his fucking standards. Yes, his moral compass, yeah. Whether you agree with his standards or not is one thing, but he fucking sticks to them. Well, it's something like, there's so many like neat things in that film that I noticed on a rewatch because like, I've seen that film a bunch of times. I was watching it with my like uh, nerdy, nitpicky film student hat on and something I noticed that was like just flew over my head multiple times I watched it is when um, the scene where um, uh, Mary Jane is with Harry and they're going to meet his dad and she's wearing like the red dress mm-hmm. like the Spider-Man style dress like, red and blue you yeah. know because the heart belongs to Spider-Man which is something you'll notice if you watch that film the outfits are reflective of the person's allegiances in the film right, so you'll see Mary you. Jane she flips between wearing um, uh, red and blue for Spider-Man and green for Harry and Harry says, oh, you should, I thought you were wearing the black dress. My dad likes the black dress. Mm-hmm. The next scene where you see Harry, uh, where you see Norman Osborn, he's not commenting on what you see a picture of his wife on the wall and his wife's wearing a black dress. Oh, okay. You see like a giant and portrait of his wife wearing a black it's dress. arguable like, whether like, you know, Mary Jane should be wearing like a weird kimono, but... It's, yeah, it's weird. I don't know why she's wearing the but he says, and it's like, why does he like black? Like, oh, his wife wore the mm-hmm. black dress. That's a cool little detail, and then I never picked up on that the first time. No, no, I never noticed that picture before. Yeah, it's a it's a giant pot, but it's in the background of the scene. Mm-hmm. And then when you're looking at like the decorations in Norman's house, there's mask shit everywhere. He's got ma- he collects masks from mm-hmm. other cultures. Yeah, and um, it's it's hard to notice background details like that when Norman Osborn is on it's the screen. Just, oh yeah, the foe is just. Just chewing everything. No, like gnawing on those masks. Fuck, he's gnawing on that. But he's such a good actor. Mm. He's such a good actor. Like that bit where he just meets, and he realizes that he's Spider Man, and he sees his hand and goes, "How how do you say you got that guy? Like bank messenger, knock me down. I've got to go." Or yeah. that bit where like um, uh, he just reaches for the thing and like uh, and May slaps, slaps his hand, and he's just like. She's never been told no. Yeah. He's not been told no before. And I'm just like, fuck you, no, it's yours. And I find it really funny because, like, obviously, um, Harry is made out to be, like, some really untrusting douchebag that doesn't treat women right and doesn't really nice. treat people right. But it's like... He's so shitty in that movie. He he has one, you know, parental oh, figure in his so life. I need to pee again. I'm really sorry. I've drank so much water. You know what? I'll take, it. I'll take a break as well. Yeah, I want to talk about Spider-Man too. Cool. So, Lucas, you mentioned you rewatched Spider-Man 1 in the Raimi trilogy. Is there anything else you noticed? Well, I was just talking about um, Harry Osborn being a shitty person. And it's just really funny to me because, yeah, he's made out to be such a douche, but the only person he has to look up to is Norman Osborn, just known insane person. Mm-hmm. And horrible human being that treats Harry like shit constantly. But he does have, like... There's that really great moment where, like, just Norman sees that Harry's upset. Mm-hmm. And he comes down and he's like, he sees, he's like, are you okay? And he mentions that, you know, him and Mary Jane have broken up. And he embraces him and he's like, I know I've not always been there for you. I'm going to make that right. And by make it right, he's got to go fuck with Spider-Man. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but the scene prior to them breaking up, he causes them to break up by telling Harry, like, Oh, Harry, um, she's just in it for the money. Just, like, basically fuck her and fuck her off. And then he says, like, don't say that about Mary Jane. To which then Mary Jane is like, why didn't you defend me? Oh, I was going to say, because he screams, like, like, um, they're all beautiful, Harry. Your mother was beautiful. 
And then, he, like you said, Mary Jane's not like that. And then he comes in the room. 30 seconds later, Mary Jane's like, nice of you. Defense. He did. Yeah. He did. And he she... literally said that Mary Jane isn't like those women. Yeah. He says it to his father. He stands up to his dad yeah. for her. Not very well, but he but does he a little bit. Well, so to be fair as well, his dad storms out of the room and yeah, doesn't give him a chance. exactly. But he says it very loudly to his face. And then Mary Jane's like, nice to him and walks off. Almost like she wanted an excuse to break up with him. Yeah, but then the exact next scene is, oh, what does Harry do? He gets jealous and creepy with Mary Jane, which then causes them to like split up. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, that is a creepy dickish thing to do. But Norman Osborne has been the one telling him to not trust any women for 20 years of his life. Of course he's going to be paranoid. Yeah. It's like he's fucked up because Norman's fucked him up. He's also as well, he's got a point. He's He has got a reason to be annoyed at that point because she did cheat on him with Spider-Man. That, that's kiss, also true. She kisses, she kisses Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yeah. And Peter's there and he knows that he did. Like, Peter's such a dick in that first movie. Like, do you know what I think about? With great power comes great responsibility. How about not skeezing on your mate's, like, girlfriend? But at the same time, Harry only hits on Mary Jane as a fuck you to Peter Parker for getting Peter Parker's... Uh, for getting Norman's attention. Yeah. and it's So like, it's like, Harry is the one in the first place that goes, I know that you've been obsessed with Mary Jane. I'm attractive and rich, so I'm going to go hit on her because you got my dad's attention, essentially. But he does have, though, that great point of, you never made a move. Oh, yeah, he... he he doesn't do shit. And he sits that, there on the sidelines. And Pete, in, in Peter's head, he's like, that, that is an affront, but women aren't objects. Like, no. you, you have no right to say that you're pissed off. Like You can argue that it's a dick move because he knows you like it, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not a thing for your best friend to really do to you, though. But at the same time... At least have a conversation beforehand. It is Mary Jane's choice, and she went with Harry. Yeah. That's, like, her choice. You've got to respect her choice. And the fact that Peter gets pissed off about it, and then, like, as Spider-Man, you see me going like... What do you mean? He's spectacular. And Peter's there like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then while she's still with Harry, she asks, like, oh, does Spider-Man talk about me? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is what he said. And gives, like, the most creepy speech to her in the world. Where it's like, when you see her eyes and you, like, fall into her eyes and all this. And it's like, Peter, this is creepy. I also love as well, because that's something they mentioned in the Raimi trilogy, like, Peter Parker is like the unofficial photographer of Spider-Man because he always gets all the best shots. Mm-hmm. And understandably, um, like Peter says, oh, I've talked to him a few times. He's how I got all these shots. And yeah. people accept that. Okay, Peter Parker probably has spoken to Spider-Man a few times. Like, but when would that ever come up? Yeah. Because he says like, oh, Mary, he saves people every day. He's not going to remember you. Yeah. And I, I yeah. But I guess at that point, because she kissed him, it's like, well, maybe he would remember the girl that he kissed. Because yeah. he saved me twice at that point. Maybe. And then... But also, I just want to clarify, like, how does Jay Jonah not realise who he... Maybe he does, but he doesn't say anything. But how does he not realise that Peter Parker is Spider-Man the moment he gets, like, a shot perfectly in frame of Spider-Man That's 20 stories up I in was the about air to in New say York City? Exactly. Like, where's Peter getting this Which shot? I remember that one. It's like where he goes, we need a good shot of Spider-Man. And he's going through them. And you have, like, a couple of him, like, fighting. And it's just one. And he's like a promotional still from the movie. I mean, like 50 stories up, like swinging 80 miles. And he just goes, crap, 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 crap. It's like, who got that shot? So like, I tell you who got that shot. Only Spider-Man could get that shot. Only Spider-Man would know Spider-Man's going to be there to get that shot. And then it's just like, oh, well, I guess Peter just must be a good photographer. And it's one of those things as well where I I got a newfound appreciation for J. Jonah Jameson's um, uh, suspicion about Spider-Man mm. because he says, well, 
he's always there when trouble happens. Yeah. And, oh, well, how would he... Po- like, it's almost like he knows he's going to be there. And when he's getting photographs that were clearly staged mm-hmm. of Spider-Man, in this, almost as if the photographer knew he was going to be there, that would feed into that suspicion of, like, well, I'm always getting perfect shots. And that... Uh, from Peter, who seemingly knows, knows where Spider-Man's going to be. So... You would imagine the only way that that's going to happen is that Spider-Man and Peter are teaming up to set up these things. And he doesn't blame Peter for it, because, you know, he's, he sees he's just a struggling... Mm. He's just trying to make his ends meet. He's a college student who wants to earn some money. Yeah. And, he, you know, J. John Jameson has, like... A, he does feel some sort of obligation to protect him from the wider world, and it's, like, you know, the implications of his work. So he's just, yeah. like, he's just selling him photos. He doesn't... Needs to like deal with a fucking supervillain. No, exactly, and it's just shout out to J.K. Simmons. Oh, so good. Like I, I love the fact that nobody questioned J.K. Simmons coming back as the same character in a different universe. Is that good? Because he's that good at that role, and it's just oh, J.K. Simmons is is J. John Jameson again. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. It does though highlight how limited and um, uh, the of actors you can cast is when you now have multiple actors who've been in both the DC and MCU movies. Yeah, it's not great. Because, like, you've got... Um, uh, is, he, is he Gordon? J.K. Simmons, yeah. You've got um, uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. He's Perry White. Who's yeah. he in the MCU? He's in Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp 2. Oh, he's the doctor that t- is, like, looks after ghosts, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. There's multiple actors there. And then you've even got actors who've been in the MCU um, in multiple things as different people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you've got like the actor who plays, is it um, one of Thor's friends? One of Thor's friends is like, they've been recast twice and their actor appears in other roles in oh, the MCU. Oh, right, okay, yeah. And then you've got like uh, Viola Davis, who's in like one of the TV shows and the MCU as mm. separate characters. Yeah, it's I happened think- a couple of times where like, I think there was somebody else that was a background character in one of the first movies, but then becomes like a main character later on. I can't remember exactly, but it shows how limited like the acting pool is, and like you keep you've alluded to multiple times throughout this. You're like Chris Pratt is now Garfield, yeah, and Mario, and Mario. But the Garfield news, you know, to date this podcast was revealed like last night. Yeah, but it's really funny because Garfield is a terrible, unfunny comic, and it's just okay. So Chris Pratt is big star, obviously. I get that you want one of the biggest names in Hollywood as your starring role, but voice actors are the thing. People with proven track record of being a voice actor. I know he was in, was it Onward? But yeah. I, I didn't hear good things about his performance necessarily. He's just Chris Pratt. That's yeah. the thing. He's not a voice actor. He's just Chris Pratt. And it's just, you give Charles Martinet some work. Not as Garfield, although I might he, be interested. He probably could do it. I bet he could. You know, he's got pretty um, uh, like good range, I imagine. But the thing that gets me, though, is is that Garfield has such a specific voice. Like, Joe, from like, the cartoons, he has like, that very like, yeah. really lazy-ass voice. And I'm going to find something here. Because um, do you remember who played him in the original? No. Oh, not in the original, but in that first live-action movie they did? No. It, all... was, it was Bill Murray. Oh, in my brain, because all I remember about Garfield and Bill Murray is that he was in it. I didn't remember him being the voice of Garfield. He's the voice of Garfield. And did you ever hear how Bill Murray ended up being the voice of Garfield? No, but like the only reason I even remember is because it's like 
in Zombieland when he dies, it's like, oh yeah. I saw something of just like, oh yeah, I have one regret is Garfield. Yeah, because Bill Murray hated it and he yeah. signed on for both movies. And it's and, like, yeah. And do you know why he's so pissed off about it? Because Bill Murray, to this day, insists that he was tricked into playing Garfield. Because the director, oh no, sorry, the writer, oh, there's two writers for the Garfield movie. Like that shit movie needed two writers. Okay. You got Alec Sokolow and Joel Cohen. That's One Cohen. Of the Cohen brothers. No, Cohen, C O H E N. And the way Bill Murray tells it is, he was told that. Oh. Because he was like, I don't want to be a fucking in the Garfield movie. So it was written by Joel Cohen. And uh, they never it told was him. thought it was one of the Cohen brothers. And they, they never clarified which Cohen or how it was spelled. So he thought he was going to be in a Cohen brothers movie. So he trusted those two guys. Like, well, those good guys generally make good movies. They're pretty funny. Yeah, I'll be in right. that. And then he found out after that, no, it's a different Joel Cohen. Uh, and got okay. really pissed off because he signed on to be in both movies. Oh, that's and the story is he tried to make his performance as bad as possible. So they'd recast him. But he inadvertently made the performance better because Garfield's supposed to be lazy. So, the so mo- Bill Murray phoning it in and not giving a fuck is just like Garfield. Because yeah. Garfield's a lazy fuck and doesn't yeah. give a shit. So the like he tried to sabotage his own performance so he'd get recast. But... Him not giving a fuck and reading his lines as badly as possible just made it sound like he, like, cause he was disinterested. It was more akin to Garfield yeah, himself. Yeah. Who is just very disinterested in like, everything. So Bill Murray trying to like torpedo his own performance. <laughs> made it actually more usable. And he, he signed on for both and he was really pissed off about it. Because <laughs> he's like, I got tricked. I thought it was one of the Cohen brothers and it wasn't. I just heard Joel Cohen, like that guy makes good shit. Oh, Cohen, yeah, I remember that. That's I'll sign Cohen on to brothers, do that yeah. and found out it's like a different... It's like, well, that's uh, amazing. And, uh, you know, I still go back in my head of the one person that managed... Whether they were trying to sabotage themselves or not, that sabotage themselves out of a role was like fucking Peter Dinklage in Destiny. When he was like the, the, the ghost, your companion, for like the first year of the game... They just went Nolan North did it. Just yeah. forget, just forget about that Peter Dinklage the, performance. There's a couple of like examples of stuff like that happening. Uh, the most, probably the most famous, is Harrison Ford in Blade Runner. Well, okay. In Blade Runner, initially, although the theatrical release of Blade Runner has um, narration over the entire thing, and nobody likes the narration, and it's, does it now have narration in like its later releases? No version of it that the director has touched has it. In. At least Ridley Scott did it. Right, because I, I, I was like, it's been a while since I've watched Blade Runner. Does it actually have narration in it? It's cut from almost every version of the film. But right. the, the story goes that the studio thought the film was too complicated and that audiences wouldn't get it. So they made, um, they brought Harrison Ford back in and made him do narration mm-hmm. to explain the plot of the film, which is always, a, like, when you need, you don't need to do that. Mm. And Harrison Ford agreed with that sentiment and the long-standing industry rumour that he is he has always denied, but he's very difficult. Uh, but like, it's, he's always denied it, but it's really believable when you actually listen to how bad his performance is. Is that he deliberately did it as shit as possible so they wouldn't use it and they used it anyway. Uh, okay. And he always says, "No, I did the before. I did the performance as directed, but it's really bad." Is that what Tobey Maguire did when he was narrating parts of Spider Man? <laughs> Just made it sound as dull as possible so they wouldn't fucking use it. I, like Toby, he sounds like he. Farted that one out when he narrated some of those scenes. It, it sounds like he did it right at the end. It's the last thing he did, it um, sounds like. And it's just, oh, I, I know we said it was rap, Toby, but we've got these few lines that we need you to narrate for like the opening and ending. Can you just do Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, blah, 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 blah. We're done. 
And it's just Toby. Nailed it one time. <laughs> yeah. Toby. And the long-standing industry rumour is that Harrison Ford did it as bad as possible. And he says he, he didn't. But when you listen to how bad the lines are... The like, only believable explanation is that he tried to fuck it up. Or he was given really poor direction, which is also believable when you I listen mean, to how bad... watch the prequels of Star Wars. Yeah, like, bad direction does exist. Like, yeah. And uh, it's just really funny, like, just do it bad on purpose to try and get it put, <laughs> and they put it in. Because that's the worst part, isn't it? It's like, no, this will be so bad they'll be too scared to use it, and then they use it anyway and make you look shit and, yeah, it's like, it's, and ruin the movie as well. It's like, oh. Or, like, cases where, like, um, the bad acting is on purpose, mm. or purposeful, because um, I want to say, me and my girlfriend, over Halloween, um, to date this video, we watched the film Jennifer's Body. Right, I've heard that there's been a big resurgence on this movie. Because um, it stars Megan Fox as the titular Jennifer, and the acting in it is fucking terrible. Right. And her performance as a character is fucking god-awful. Okay. But there's a new, as you said, there's been a resurgence because there's a new context that's emerged, and it is, well, the film was written to evoke the feeling of the film Heathers, which famously has not bad acting, but it has very caricatured, uh, basically fictional versions of teenagers because they invented slang for that movie mm. to make the teenagers sound realistic. But it's like it's made up slang. Okay. And in the same vein, in Jennifer's body, she is like a caricature of like the popular girl and she like makes up slang very akin to Heather's. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, what's the one of the ones that put me on my ass? When she's like, she's chatting up a guy and says, didn't you know I've been making eyes at you all year? You give me a great big way. And that's the thing. Oh. Like, that's the, and that's the thing. Me and my girlfriend both, oh! And yeah. it got criticised for having really bad writing, but the writing's bad on purpose because right. it's invoking the feeling of Heather's where it similarly has really bad writing for the the, character, you know, the teenage characters as a joke about how bad teenage characters sound when writers will try and put in slang. We've yeah. all seen movies where they try and write teenage or children characters and make them speak like teenagers and it sounds awful because, because none like, of the writers are teenagers they're all 40 year old men or whatever and that's what they did in Heathers where they wrote it to be deliberately evocative of that to make it sound stupid on purpose it's and kind then, of you know a bit B-movie-esque yeah. in that sense yeah and they did the same thing for Jennifer's Body but people didn't get it so they just wrote it off as having a bad script and bad acting it's like no it's on purpose it's mm. invoking a very specific thing that people didn't get so going back with the context of, oh no, this is meant to be a bit of um, just a silly, overacted, like kind of badly scripted film. It's like that is on purpose. Yeah, it's like, oh, her acting's really bad. It's because it's supposed to be invoking, like, it's a caricature of that kind of yeah. character. That's fair. I haven't, like a... I haven't ever watched Jennifer's Body. I'm intrigued by it's it. It's pretty funny. Like, it's, uh, it's like we were, we, again, we, uh, uh, I'll mention um, American Psycho again, which mm-hmm. we also watched on Halloween. And that's a comedy, and it was reviewed very poorly when it first came out. People didn't get that it was supposed to be funny. And they didn't think it was supposed to be funny. It's like, how did they not get that this was supposed to be a comedy mm. when you have just Christian Bale caving in Jared Leto's skull with a mirrored axe? <laughs> An act, like, he's such a vain motherfucker, he polishes his axe to a mirror sheen so he can see his reflection in it yeah. as he's caving people's skull in. As Huey Lewis plays in the <laughs> background... And people didn't think it was supposed to be funny. It's because like, murder happens, Carl. Yeah, it's like, oh, how can death be funny? It's, it's a black comedy. But um, one thing that really surprised me, I was listening to a podcast recently when they were talking about, like, oh, you know, kind of, can you guess, like, the review scores 
of this thing. Mm-hmm. One of the ones was Blade Runner, and it came out oh, and it was horrible. like critically panned. Oh, all the t- yeah. Every classic film now, like every film from like the eighties and nineties that was like oh seventies, eighties, nineties that was like a class is a classic now was horribly panned on release. And this is goes back to when we talked about stuff that should be saved for posterity, and it mm-hmm. is those bad reviews. Yeah, those reviews sitting there. Saying that Blade Runner of all movies is just awful. It's like, you know, you're all the way back to like, you know, the earliest days of film where Citizen Kane got mm. famously shat on from a great height because one guy took umbrage to the fact he was being parodied by the film and he happened to own like 15 newspapers and just told all his writers shit on this film. And it's just weird to me that that movie is now like so untouchable because I watched it back in high school as like part of. Um, you know, kind of not media literacy, but like as an example of media mm-hmm. and good media, and like, and then we also watch like the Simpsons parody of that scene and stuff, just you know weird stuff that in school. But um, yeah, it's like I don't know that that movie is the perfect movie, but people make it out as though it is, and it's really interesting to see that go full circle of like, well, you see people originally shitting on it. Because of this guy. Yeah. And then it becomes the untouchable movie. But then you get the contrarians coming Nowadays, in, yeah. Now going like, well, Citizen Kane isn't actually very good. No. It's a, a movie where the, it, divorced from context, it's still a very good movie. But with the context, it is, as you said, untouchable. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the first movies that was shot like a movie. Because when you think of movies today, they are shot in a very specific way. And there are cinematic techniques that were invented in that film. There's like visual languages, yeah. Yeah, um, because prior to, because people aren't thinking like, how, what do you mean shot like a movie? Well, prior to stuff like Citizen Kane, movies were shot like plays. Because that was the closest parallel. Like, Think about like Charlie Chaplin where it's, it's all... static shot. Very static shot, front on, pan, like acting to camera. Yeah, yeah. Like, mo- movies were shot like plays and... Mm-hmm. Um, Citizen Kane was shot like a movie and it helped basically define what a movie is so with that context it's you know even if you say you don't like the film it's groundbreaking in that yeah, sense it's yeah. importance can never be understated and obviously it, then as a result it's place in cinematic history is effectively secured forever and like I don't know what um, I think this is like a, a later movie obviously <laughs> Um, but I know that like Psycho similarly gets credited for a lot of like the horror shots that it does, yeah. And they've become like essentially staples. industry standards. At yeah, they're point, staples yeah. of um, like the way like, establishing tone, um, just like you know acting, mm-hmm. um, uh, and as well just twists. Yeah, twisting films weren't really a thing. Building tension, and stuff, like, you know, yeah. that's like no, I um, uh, like Hitchcock was the master of that, and it's just yeah. It's, it's, the idea that just years and years and years ago, stuff like that, like things like actually masterpieces today, got shat on, and I don't think you should ever be able to, like, you know, take that back. That should always be there. Mm-hmm. Like all those reviews of like stuff like The Thing, or, oh, Blade, yeah. or Blade Runner, like you said, or um, like the original Terminator. Yeah, all these yeah. films that now have like this, this pedigree, this like status as like the classics of their genre. Those reviews where it's like one star. I'm just trying to think of like in 20 years time when someone's podcasting about the Emoji movie being one of the most important pieces of media ever. We always like one of the greatest movies ever. And it's like, well, were we on. wrong about the Emoji movie? Well, to end on, okay, like let's do some armchair predictions right now. Let's be armchair Nostradamus and try okay. and predict 
Not in 10 years' time, but... Because the thing is, you don't even need to do it for 10 years' time, because internet, the internet moves so fast. Media yeah. um, is so quickly consumed and forgotten about now that this can happen within the space of a year in some cases. Because mm-hmm. this happened to me. Um, uh, I know I ever think about movies and pieces of media that I may will probably undergo a critical reevaluation, or people try to force one um, in a short period of time. Um, to me, when I was streaming the other day and I talked about, someone asked, oh, um, what is your favourite story-driven game? Right. And I said, Last of Us 2. Okay, yeah. And I went, well, I don't like the term favourite, because, mm. you know, my answer would change on a given day, but the last one I played, like the biggest one that's left the impact on me is Last of Us 2. Yeah, there's that recency bias when you get asked a question, of course. That's right. Well, so I'll just say the most recent one I played, I think I had a phenomenal story, is Last of Us 2. And when we chat, it's like, you can't be serious. And it's like, so it's already been like, what, seven months, eight months since release, and mm. there's already been that turn. No, but I think that turn's always been there because of, like, yeah. there's, from the moment that was a controversial game, from the moment the leaks happened, and like, that weird side of the internet came out to hate on that game and yeah, it so, got user like review bombed and stuff. Like. So I was hoping that you know, with the uh, the mellowing out of that, because generally when people don't like something, they stop talking about it after a couple of months. I thought, you know, eight months uh, now, like the but it's critical evaluation is pretty secure. It's like it's a fucking fantastic story. Yeah, even if you don't like it, and I think that's the thing though is. When prompted, though, when you would bring it up, there's still those people coming out of the woodwork then. They still are set in their ways of, no, this was terrible. And I guess you have a point there, yeah. Mm. But um, is there anything that you think, or you're like, you know, just have a wild swing at something that you think is going to, someone's going to try and give it that? Because I think we mentioned this, the undeserved push. Mm-hmm. It's like a, um, a, a variation on that. Oh, God. I'm trying to think, and like, so this I, is not something we want to undergo a critical reevaluation. This is something we think might. So yeah, and we've already seen it lately with Star Wars because I think actually something I saw um, and it's one of those posts on Reddit that fucking pissed me off. Mm. And this rarely happens, but this one actually got me. And it was a meme. I think it's like the prequel memes page yeah. on Reddit, and it is um, just like Joe, the the face of the guy's reacting. He smiles and then he frowns. Yeah, and it's like oh, remembering that um, the prequel trilogy ten years ago. Um, was hated, but now it's beloved. Remembering, and then it's like goes down to this, and it's like uh, the the frowny face one is um uh, oh remembering that the sequel trilogy is um uh, hated now. And in ten, and they, and in and ten the, years, it would be beloved. And that's the, reason, the implication. And yeah. The reason that pissed me off is the prequel trilogy wasn't hated on release; it was loved. It was it was only a few years after it got released with the mellowing of that fervor and that hype that the we uh, get we're finally getting Star Wars again. For the first time in what, like thirty years or yeah, whatever, that a proper critical evaluation could take place where people broke, and we've mentioned that people broke down those movies, and they realized they're not good movies. Sorry, no, it wasn't. Definitely wasn't thirty years, but it was a long. time. It was a long time, yeah. And it was only after the fervor and the hype had died down for it that people were able to analyze it, um, like not in a bubble, but without that influencing their decision. And the agreement was they're not great movies, and it was that when the internet pushed it to be reevaluated with memes. Mm-hmm. So. The premise of that argument is wrong already, but then it's like the same thing with the sequel trilogy, where it's they're not disliked overall. Critically, those films have all been pretty well reviewed. Like fine, yeah, fine to good. Like you know, nothing like outstanding or whatever. Yeah, like they go from like you know eight or nine out of ten to the last like seven. Mm-hmm. So it's still pretty well reviewed. But like that's the thing of like they're forcing a narrative that does not exist because their personality is hinged on the fact that. They like the prequels because they're trying to be contrarian. Mm-hmm. 
but now because that contrarian opinion has been so well established online they've now completely upended and try to rewrite history and say that they were hated and on, like, on release it's like, they no. were hated by a small portion of the internet whereas no. widely received as fine as po- yeah they were widely po- they were popularly received as quite good yeah yeah the same way that the sequel trilogies have been popularly received as quite good mm-hmm. and it's only a minority of people who dislike them yep and that I remember that fucking pissed me off when I saw that god that's yeah oh uh, but you know prequel memes are gonna prequel meme can't they me? are yeah so is there anything in that vein like you know just try and stray away from that. any movies you think that I think probably think with the MCU yeah we're yeah. starting to see at the moment like M- people are arguing like oh the MCU movies were never good or some of the bad ones were better. Yeah, I've seen people saying, oh, Thor 2 is actually a really good movie. It's like, fuck, it, well, it's a 6 out of 10. Yeah, and the one I always argue for is that I think Iron Man 3 is better than people gave it credit for. Um, because of the whole, like, Mandarin thing and because, like, Tony doesn't spend that long as Iron Man. It gets maligned quite a lot. But because like, he's not the hero then. I think it's a quite good character study of Tony Stark. Yeah, and I don't think it's a great Iron Man movie. I think it's a good movie. Like, don't get me wrong, but I definitely think it's better than people give it credit for. Yeah. Um, and then by the same token, you have the opposite of DC movies we've talked about a lot before, but hmm. Hmm. I think one for me, like you see it a lot, is like Call of Duties. Mm. Like Call of Duty games, Battlefield games, and the Halo series, like they're all in the same um uh, pool of this uh mainstream first-person shooters with campaigns and multiplayer. Like. Like, yeah, the reaction to those changes so much. Mm-hmm. It's so fluid. It's like the changing of the tide, where it's like on any given day, the opinion or the, the consensus like, online of the quality of those games and all the games in the series can change. Well, it happened to me with Halo 4, um, where I played Halo 4, I went, man, that was a bad, forgettable campaign. And moved on and played some of the multiplayer and went, man, that is a bad multiplayer. And just left Halo 4 forever. And then I played Halo 5. The same thing happened with Halo 5 of like, okay, I did not like that campaign. Okay, I can see what the multiplayer is trying. Not for me, really. Mm. I kind of jumped off quite quickly. And then when talks of Halo Infinite come back up, it's like people have now, you know, seemingly all agreed that Halo 4's campaign was pretty damn good. And I'm like, wait, yeah, I missed this conversation. Yeah. That, that happened without your input. I don't remember agreeing like, to this. I just was listening to a few podcasts talking about Halo Infinite and all of them were agreeing like, oh yeah, the Halo 4 campaign was pretty damn good. And I just had that moment in my head where I was like, I missed the news you on this like, one. I forgot them. I did not get this memo. It feels like you're being ghastly, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, when I saw that thing about the when the prequel trilogy was never liked on release. It's like it fucking. I was alive when it happened. Yeah, when we were kids when it happened. It and was people fucking lost their everywhere. Shit. It was yeah. on the news. People were like went ape shit for those movies. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. feels like you get annoyed because it's like you, this is wrong. This is not how it went down. It's like history that we lived through as a kid being rewritten on the internet. And it's to like I. Physically remember the zeitgeist around that movie, like the first movie when yeah. it came out. It's to fit a narrative because they don't like that women and black people are in the new one. It's like what? Yeah. And oh man, so I'm not sure what we're going to get a push for though, or what's going to happen. Like I said, I think the MCU is ripe for that to happen just because it's so pervasive in pop culture, where it probably already exists. Like those contrarian dick 
Oh time. yeah, yeah. There's like the article's like the MCU is not really good, but I'm waiting, uh, not specifically for that, but for people to start downplaying how important those movies were to how they shaped movies mm-hmm. as they exist now. I'm waiting for that. That's what I'm going to like um, uh, make my bet for that. Within a couple of years, we will have people downplaying how important Marvel movies were to establishing the idea of the shared cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. And people will try and argue that, well, no, Harry Potter did it first. It's like, no, that's just a series of books. Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to guess that we're going to have people try to shift the argument to stuff that technically existed first, mm-hmm. but only became a cinematic uh, became a cinematic universe after the MCU established that it was a thing they could do. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's... Probably a few examples, like a bad example is probably Fast and Furious. Which became a cinematic universe partially in response to the MCU. That's the thing. Yeah. And even like, when you make these arguments, the MCU is still part of it because it's what inspired it. But And you know, you can take a crack at MCU and what they're doing, but if you look at how hard it actually is to do, like the perfect example is just looking at DC's attempts of can you tell me which movies are part of which universe and what aren't and are connected? Yeah, and uh, that's what I think is going to be the the next, not the next thing, but I think that's something that's going to be you'll see in a, a year or two if people try to downplay its impact on pop culture to mm-hmm. be contrarian. And then there's going to be always those people that insist that Aquaman was a good movie and I'm going to have to tell I, them. I, every time I no. hear it, I don't get it. I I stopped watching that movie and fuck you anybody that tells me that is a good film it is not and I I it was so bad that I didn't even give it a shot past half an hour so if you give uh, if I give something half an hour of my time and it actively makes me want to stop watching I I can't consider that to be good yeah that's the thing of um that's not really a, like a critical reanalysis but do you have any like your armchair Nostradamus like predictions of media that people are going to either like downplay or play like downplay the importance of or what's the opposite of downplay i guess or play the importance mm. of in regards to cinematic history no it's very hard to like think because obviously again like all i can think of is things that i've watched over the past like year and it's it's one of those so do you have any uh, like I said, I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that people will try no, not successfully they're going to try to argue that um, the MCU was not as impactful as it is. And I'm guessing that in about a year or two, when we get the release of Avatar 2, we're going to see a rewriting mm. of the importance of Avatar. Because obviously, that's so faded from public consciousness now. One of those of, again, when you look back on it, it's like, yeah, that movie is not very good. and But it was massive. It's got a poorly written story, blah, blah, blah. It's just a rip-off of... Pocahontas, Stances with Wolves, yeah. And look, that's all great in hindsight, but when it was in the moment, it was a phenomenon. Yeah, and what I'm going to take my guess, I'm going to take a stab in the dark now and say that in a year or two, when that second one comes out, we're going to see a lot of articles talking about how Avatar changed film, which it did for the worst. In terms of like, on a technological basis, it did push that like 3d tech super hard it did and then 3d died a death but i'm gonna guess that that's gonna be mine like in a couple of years you know avatar 2 gonna get a trailer or something like, we're gonna have people talking about should 3d come back did avatar mm. was it too soon was avatar that's what i'm gonna guess the headlines will be was avatar too soon for the 3d trend mm. that's the prediction i'm gonna make 
And the, then the other one, this is like an even wilder shot in the dark, because I saw something about it earlier, is uh, people are going to start being nostalgic for, because I think the crux to this is that enough time has passed where people forget how bad or good or impactful the thing was, mm-hmm. for better or worse. And I'm going to guess that in the next year or two, we're going to see people start being nostalgic for those 48 frames per second movies. Because there has been a push, Joe with all the push now for like, you know, 60 frames a second on games. Mm. Because there's been a thing now where tr- there's a company made uh, that's trying to sell the idea of upscaling old TV shows and animated shows into 60 frames a second. Oh, no. Yeah. And seeing that and seeing like, you know, it's this burgeoning movement trying mm-hmm. to make that. I'm going to, shot in the dark, year or two, we're going to start seeing people be nostalgic for 48 frames a second because they don't remember how bad it was. Fair. Yeah. Oh, and I need to go call my girlfriend now because she was calling me and I feel really bad about like... Just wrap it up there. Though? Yeah, so I was going to say, Lucas, if you want to just like, you know, um, uh, close off by saying place where people can find your stuff, I'll go call my girlfriend. And people at home, yeah, send some questions to carlsqa at gmail.com if you have anything. Carl's Corner. Carl's QA. Corner. QA at gmail.com if you've got any like feedback or stuff, you know, thoughts about what we said today. So I'm interested in other people's like feedback on that. Yeah, sure. So and, um, I apologise, Lucas. No worries. While Carl does that, I'll just wrap up and just say, yeah, you can find me doing gaming things over on Twitch and YouTube at Legend of Canto. Uh, links are down in the description below. And I hope everyone has a fabulous day.